morning. As we turn to hear from God's word this morning, we seek to receive it with reverence and humility. The summons of the word found in the bulletin helps us to do just that. Let's read it together. If you call out for insight, if you cry aloud for understanding, if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. This morning's scripture reading is taken from Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 23. In the Blue Pew Bible, it can be found on page 1016. Again, the text is Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 23, found on page 1016 of the Pew Bibles. Hear now the word of God. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility, humility or the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes without any great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of the world, why, as though you still belong in the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatments of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Thank you, Sherry. Let's uh, bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, this morning we pray that you would send your spirit so that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> How many of you kids have ever thought about being an actor when you grow up? And wouldn't that be great? I always thought it would be so neat to like play a part like Tom Cruise gets to play or to play something, a James Bond actor or something like that, whatever it would be, just to be fun to have some sort of action part, to be in these various scenes, to play Luke Skywalker, to play some great character. And I don't know if you've ever actually tried out for a play. You remember what's the, the term is audition, to audition for a play. And raise your hand if you've ever been in a play. You raise your hand. Yeah, I've got a few, few, few former actors, present actors, okay? All right, so some famous people in the audience. Um, now think about this contrast for a minute. There's a contrast between the idea of an audition to the time you actually get the part. Think about that. So on the one hand, you have the idea of an audition. That is, you're, you're trying to do the best you can. You're trying to show the director, whoever it is, the, the judge is, you're trying to show them that you're good enough. 
And so you're constantly trying to do the best you can. You're trying to do everything you can to get the part, if you will, right? Now, think of the time after that. You, you actually do get the part. You're actually, you're, you're, you've been accepted, you've been received, and now you're simply, you know, learning your part, you're, 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 you're getting yourself ready, and then you actually film it, and, and, and the, the director is saying, you know, lights, camera, action, and you, you, you uh, let's say you, you, uh, you perform a part or you say your lines, and it doesn't, it doesn't, you don't, doesn't come out right. It just doesn't work. What, what, what does the director say? He says, cut, right? Time out, right? There's a sense of cut, like it's over, like, like let's uh, we'll hold on, time out. They say cut, they come in, the director comes in, he coaches you on how to do it better, to play your part, to play the role. And then he tells the editor to ne never show that part again. <laughs> Don't let anyone see that, we're not going to use that, no one no, will no, never actually see the light of day. And then, he's and, then, and, then, uh, and then it starts all over, lights, camera, action, and you do it again. You see that, that contrast between the idea of auditioning, of trying out and the idea of already having made the part. Or think of it this way. It switched from the idea of, a, of, a, um, of, a, of, of a playing, of acting in a play, to playing on a team. Those of you who like to play, say, sports of any kind, soccer or basketball or baseball, you know there's this transition of, of, of trying out for the team, right? There's tryouts, and, you, and, the, and the coaches are watching you, and you're trying to do the best you can, and you don't want to make any mistakes and you're putting your best foot forward, doing everything you can to show that you're worth being on the team. And you can contrast that with the idea of once you make the team, you've made the team, and now you're on there, and, and, you, and you go to the practices, and you're, you're preparing for the season, and you may make a mistake, and what's going to happen? You make a mistake there, and the coach is going to come up to you, right? Maybe, maybe blow the whistle, come up to you, and, and coach you, and help you to, to do it better, and you're going to learn various uh, drills and various skills that you can, you can use to actually improve at your, at your game. And finally, make a, a similar contrast to the idea of dating versus marriage. Right? When you first meet someone, often what are we trying to do? We're trying to put the, our, our best foot forward, trying to say the right things. We're trying to, to, to dress and look the right ways. We're trying to show the person that we're, we're worth spending time with. And there's a sense of an audition, if you will, there's a sense of trying, trying out, right? And it, but you contrast it with that idea of a marriage, that after, when, that, when that wedding day comes, when that ceremony has happened, when the vows are made, now it's, there's a sense of, of, of they've arrived, you've made it. There's a commitment there. And now there's, uh, there's, 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 just a, there's a, a freedom, there's a sense of, hey, I can be myself. I don't have to be something I'm not. And there's a sense of commitment, of, of, of union, of, um, of a bond that, that, won't, that if one person makes a mistake, they know the other person will forgive and will understand and will forbear. I, I use these, these three analogies of a, an audition and of trying out for a, a team and of, 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 a, of a dating and marriage relationship because sometimes we can think about Christianity in one of those two ways. We can think of ourselves as, as we as Christians can live our lives in a way where we're constantly comparing ourselves with one another as spouses, as parents, as children, as singles, as church leaders, 
and we can show up at church and we can put on our smiles and we can go to our small groups and there can be this unwillingness to really share our lives with one another. So we're always worried about putting the best foot forward. And that can get depressing, right? It can get actually very lonely. And sometimes it seems, I don't know if you feel this way, that, uh, that Christianity and living in Christian community can be this one permanent audition. You walk in on Sunday morning and you, and you, um, and you think, boy, if anyone really knew what's going on in my life right now, if anyone really knew what's going on in my heart right now, if anyone knew the things I've thought this week or the, the things I've struggled with this week, if, and so I've got to somehow audition to maybe somehow make the part. But this morning, I want us to think about Christianity. What Paul has been laboring to say in Colossians is that Christianity is not this audition. It is not a constant audition. It is not a constant uh, tryout, if you will, but rather it is very much this idea that we have been chosen for a part. We've been picked by a part. In fact, what I want us to see in a sense is that what Paul is saying is that, that, there is this, that God is this great director. And listen to this. That he, he is telling the Colossians that they are true, truly God's people. That they really do belong in God's family. That they are permanent sons and daughters. And that they have landed, listen to this, they've landed a key part, a key role in a larger drama of redemption. A drama in which the director, listen to this, in which the director himself has purposely picked the worst actors and actresses that he could find and allowed them enough time for shooting the film. Okay? Now, if you were to see that from, from Genesis onward, God again and again picks all the weakest, the most wayward, all the wrong people he chooses. In fact, you see that in the life and ministry of Jesus. All you have to do is take a look at the 12 apostles and you see that these guys are a motley crew. Jesus is about the business of picking tax collectors and sinners to be the very people who are the heroes of the show. And we see that in Paul's own life. And that Paul himself was a Pharisee. He was a, um, a persecutor, a, a zealous persecutor of the church. He was the, the last guy that you would ever think that God would choose to, to, to proclaim Christ to the nations. And that's exactly what, that's what, what God does because that's exactly the kind of thing God, uh, God would do, God, the God of the Old Testament would do. So the question this morning is, is I want to ask, how do we play our part? How is it that, so Paul already, let me just kind of review here. If you look in chapter 2, verse 6, he has this, uh, this uh, just to give us a, a, a review, he, for, in verse 6 and 7 we see a call. He exhorts them. He says, just as you received Christ, Jesus Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. That's what we talked about last time. This idea of this in himness is this idea of union with Christ. That we have been united with Christ. Last time I used the analogy of a team. That when those who are seated on the bench are watching the game, every time a, a score is, every time that their team scores, it counts for them. When the winning, when the, when the, when the star player makes the winning shot, even though technically that player won the game, 
The entire team is included in the win. And it's the same idea that united to Christ, we share in the blessings, the benefits of what he's accomplished in his life, in his death, in his, resur- in his resurrection and return. And so he's saying, just as you have, Jesus, you received Christ as Lord, just as you received him as the one who was triumphant, uh, who has mastered death and disobedience and the evil one, just as you received him as Lord, continue to live your lives united to him. And then he says, he, after calling them to, to exhorting them that, he gives them a caution in, verse, in the beginning of verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. He's saying, look, you've surrendered your life to the one who is Lord over sin and death and all the powers of this world. Um, the one, he warns them, he says, see that no one takes you captive by what is counterfeit. And then he sets up a contrast here. Well, what's the, he cautions them, what's the nature of the contrast? When beginning in the second half of verse 8, he, he says, on the one hand, you can be held captive through a hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spir- spiritual forces of the world rather than, on, rather than on Christ. You see the contrast there? And it's there in that contrast that he's asking them, look, this, this former idea is, uh, as he describes, the deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world. That's this idea of an, ado- uh, of an, of an, of an audition. So often it just seems natural that life should be an audition. We should always be having to try out. We should always be having to put our best foot forward. We should always be having to do that. And he says, no. He says, you live not according to that way of living, but you live according to your union with Christ. And it's in the the remaining verses of verse 9 through 15 that he describes their union with Christ, how they died with Christ, how they were raised with Christ, and how they share in every way in the benefits of what Christ has accomplished. So with that in mind, I want to walk through verses 16 through 23, because Paul tells us two ways here that we can, we, can, we can play our part in the drama of redemption. The first, he says, is to walk in freedom. He says to walk in freedom. That is to say, that don't be ruled by the evaluations of other people. In verse 16, Paul writes, Therefore, let no one, do, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Okay, so what is, what is Paul saying here? He's saying, look, don't let anyone judge you by the various dimensions of religious life. And here he's, he gives us lists that we can't relate to in the sense that you're not going to be judged by a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. But those were aspects of the Jewish calendar. And those aspects were very prominent in, in, the, in the early church because the early church was predominantly Jewish. And the idea was that the idea here, and this is, this is where we can relate, is that, the, that, that what was happening in the, in the, say, in the Colossian church and the early churches is that good things became things that were, more, that were more important than they actually are. And we do that all the time. We can take something like how we educate our children or political, or, uh, political issues or something like, um, something like uh, um, missions or outreach. We can take all manner of good things and we can make them the thing that we all, that, that we, by which we judge everyone else. 
And usually we, what we do is we take the things that we're best at. For example, um, I'm good at reading the Bible. You know, I've, I've, got, I've, I've studied a lot and I know the Bible. And so I think that everyone should know the Bible backwards and forwards. And if you don't know the Bible backwards and forwards, well, psh, you don't really get it. You don't really belong. Or let's say I'm really passionate about outreach, having strong relationships with non-Christians, knowing non-Christians, evangelizing, sharing your faith. And if you're not doing that, you don't really, you don't get it. You don't really belong. And so we take these good things that we're passionate about and we use them as, as as criteria for judging others. Or think about something like uh, various various, um, uh, uh, issues like alcohol, or things like um, uh, uh, smoking, or or whatever it may be. And we can take these things and we can be passionate about them and say, "Hey, if you don't if you don't think it's okay to drink, then you know you you don't uh, then you you don't get it. You don't understand Christianity. Christianity is about freedom. Of course, we can drink. Don't judge me, and I judge you for 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 judging me. Or we can say the opposite. If you drink, man, you're wrong." Like, how dare you drink? So we can take all manner of different issues, and we, they're tertiary, they're, they're meaningful. It would be, perhaps it's healthier not to drink. But we make it something that is essential and fundamental. And Paul is saying, look, you are united to a Christ. You don't have to audition before the criteria, especially the religious criteria that he gives here. It just doesn't matter if you drink or if you don't drink. It doesn't matter where you send your kids to school. It is a, it is, these sort of things simply aren't that important. And what, what happens, though, is that people make them, make them central, and they make, listen to this, they make them criteria for whether or not they're going to relate to you. And Paul says, just disregard them. He says, this is so important, therefore, do not let anyone judge you. In fact, the word here is, do not let anyone rule over you. In the way that a judge rules, you know, a judge will, will have a ruling and everyone has to abide by. He says, don't, don't abide by, don't abide by the rules that so often are out there. Just ignore them. In fact, he says, just break the rules. Do not let anyone judge you by what you, or you eat or drink, or whether with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. And he says, these things have a certain value, verse 17. They, these, they are, there is a... Sh- there are, I'm sorry, these are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. That is to say, in verse 16, we, he sets up these, these, these criteria or evidence. We're supposed to provide others of, our, of evidence of our faithfulness or devotion to God, as if somehow, if we follow these things, that they make us uh, more, we, we, uh, we belong more, in a sense, to the body of Christ. Now look, I'm going to go look in verse 18. Another way that, that uh, so the first way that, that um, others come to rule over us is when we, when we sort of adhere to giving them evidence of our devotion of God. This is how I eat or drink. This is how I, this is the new moon celebration, et cetera, et cetera. But there's a second way, that others can demand an experience of false maturity. Look in verse 18. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. And you think, what in the world is he talking about here? Well, apparently there were those in, in, in the early church 
who had these experiences, these sort of, uh, sort of otherworldly experiences where they, they encountered angels or they had these, these moments, these, these, these uh, practices where they would, they would deny themselves of food or they would deny themselves of, of, of drink, etc., and they would fast in the hopes of, of having some sort of experience, of having some sort of otherworldly or spiritual encounter of some kind. And then they would, they would have these encounters, at least they would say they had them, and they would boast about them. I just had this encounter with God, and I saw angels, and it was amazing. I am so close to God. What about you? Have you had anything like that? And sometimes it can be very sincere. They're sincerely sharing their experiences that they have, but the pride, there's nothing wrong with those experiences. I'm not here to critique those experiences. I'm saying when those experiences become the basis for being a, a, a standard or a ruler for maturity, does that make sense? Like, well, you're not mature. You're not a, a real Christian. You're not a mature believer unless you've you know, spoken in tongues or unless you have done some sort of, encountered some sort of, um, uh, some sort of a phenomena in the Christian life. And Paul is saying, look, he's saying, don't let anyone disqualify you. Don't let anyone exclude you or make you feel lesser because you haven't had that kind of experience. Let me read the verse again. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person grows into great detail about what they have seen. Oh, there I was, and this is what happened. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. Paul's actually saying they're not that spiritual because they're actually focusing on what is, what is really not that important at all. And, but what is important, listen to this, verse 19. He says, they have lost connection with the head, that is Christ, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Where is real maturity found? It's in union with Christ and in union with one another that Paul pictures us, the, body of, or the, the people of God, as a body. And listen to this. If you really want to be mature, if you want to understand and taste real Christianity, if you want to change, if you want to see behavior patterns in your life uh, go away, if you want to adopt new behavior patterns, it is all about not some spiritual experience. It is all about not some evidence of, oh, I, you know, I eat and drink this, or I don't eat and drink this, or I observe this, this, particular, uh, this particular calendar or something like that. It is all about fellowship in the body of Christ. It is about praying with brothers and sisters it's about sharing your life. It is about ending the audition and just saying, getting together with a brother or sister and saying, my life is such a wreck right now. Or this happened to me. It was amazing. I'm so excited. It's about having brothers and sisters, friends, close friends in your life with whom you can rejoice with them when they rejoice. You can weep with them when they weep. And you can say, look, I really need to I really want to change in these ways. Can you help me? Do you see how that works? So Paul is saying, look, don't let, uh, walk, walk in freedom. Don't be ruled by religious, religious uh, fake religious criteria. There is some sort of evidence of, of belonging or you know, some sort of experience of maturity. 
says, that's just, it's all garbage. You belong. You're united to Christ. You don't have to worry about all this stuff. You've made the team. You've gotten the part. You're married to Jesus Christ. You're, un- you're united to him. You can relax. You can be yourself, okay? So in contrast to that, he speaks of the, when I mentioned the source of true maturity. That's in verse 19. And then he, sa- he speaks in verse 20 about how we are called. He calls us to walk not only in freedom, but verse 20 in the verse three, the verses 20 through 23, to walk in wisdom. That he says, don't be fooled by the assumptions of this world. Again, so walk in freedom. Don't care about the, the, the various criteria that so often come up in religious contexts of demanding evidence for that. Don't be ruled by the various demands for experiences, some sort of spiritual experience, but rather true wisdom or true maturity is found in, in, the, in, in that family life as we, as we walk and live together. But then he says, don't, don't walk not only in freedom, but walk in wisdom. Let me read verses 20 through 23. He says, since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do, have to do with things that are destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations, indeed, have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sexual indulgence. So Paul, in verses 20 and 21, he asks this penetrating question. You died with Christ to the basic principles, that is to say the basic assumptions the, the, the givens of this world, the basic facts of life, the ways that, that people just ch- tend to think. Human salvation makes assumptions all the time, and it doesn't, it doesn't question them. Since you die with Christ to the way that most people live their lives, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? See, let me, let me explain it this way. According to the basic principles of this world, this world and its relationships and its responsibilities are one big audition, right? It's just constantly being evaluated in others. And in that audition, what one needs is a strategy, a list of things to do, to be accepted, to be considered clean, if you will. Five ways to find a man, ten ways to get ahead at work, three ways to improve your marriage. And when the church operates off these sort of worldly principles, the same thing happens. There's a list of what one must do in the audition to be a good Christian parent, to be a good Christian spouse, single or teenager. There's this basic strategy, a counsel, if you will, a strategy for getting clean, a strategy for getting accepted, a strategy for being on the inside. And Paul says, don't let this counsel fool you. And why is that? Well, Paul says that these worldly principles are passing and superficial. Look at verses 21 and 22. He says, do not, he lists these examples of these rules. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. He says, these rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. He's saying, look, it's passing. Right? It's, it's, it, they're destined to perish. I mean, we can just see all the time. You can go on in Dr. Phil or Oprah, and you can see the latest book, the latest fashion, the latest trend in, in diet, the latest trend in health, the latest trend in relationships, and they, they come and they go, but they mostly 
go. And Paul says, don't fall for it. Don't fall for the latest thing. It's just passing. So Paul says, first, walk in, wis- walk in freedom. And then he says, walk in wisdom. You see, so he says that these, these various worldly principles, they're passing and superficial. And the next thing he says in verse 23 is that they're plausible and seductive. Look at verse 23. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom, right? You go on Dr. Phil, you go on open, you're like, hmm, yeah, it makes, yeah, it makes some sense. It has the appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. Like, whatever it is, you know, you gotta, if you've got to fast, you've got to do this, there's some sort of catch, or some sort of thing. Well, if you just do this, if you just go on this regimen, if you do, to do these things, it'll work. And so there's a sense of plausible. It seems right. It seems, it's so, and therefore, because it's plausible, it's seductive. It, it kind of makes sense. And I just, I mean, I think, um, I'd love to know the time, but I'd love to go into some of the actual context here historically of what, what, what was actually discussed. But the point, the bottom line is that this council, the council of Dr. Phil, the council of Oprah, the council of the internet, is going to always have this plausible and seductive allure to it. We're going to think, oh yeah, that makes all the sense in the world. And then, but finally, Paul says, not only is, are, these, is, are these worldly principles, not only are they plausible, uh, but he says um, they're actually powerless. Look in verse t- uh, 23. <clears throat> Such regulations indeed have the appearance of wisdom. And he can skip down to the very end. He says, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. At the end of the day, you try these 10 principles out or these five ways to do whatever, and it'll work for a week. But it won't bring the lasting transformation, the lasting, the true maturity that Paul is speaking of. It won't actually bring transformation in your life. What does bring that transformation? He's told us. When you, when you are connected with the body of Christ, walking as one, united as one, praying together, sharing your life together, confessing your sins to one another, grieving together, celebrating together, welcoming others into your home, welcoming others into your life and your heart. That is where real maturity comes from. Today, let me close with this, today is um, uh, we celebrate Pentecost in the life of the church calendar. Pentecost is the celebration of God pouring out the Spirit, the Spirit of the resurrected, reigning Jesus Christ onto his church to empower his people. And the Spirit, listen to this, the Spirit may seem to be this, what is this, who is the Holy Spirit? The Spirit, and how do I, how does the Spirit come into my life? The Spirit comes into our lives as we enter into the fellowship of the family of God. When Sarah and I, for example, are close, when we share our hearts, we share our sorrows and struggles, we encounter the Holy Spirit at work. When I confess my sin to Sarah, you don't do that on your own, do you? Right? No one actually just willingly owns their, their dirt, right? It's only by the work of the Holy Spirit who enables us to take that risk, that enter into that place of vulnerability of saying, I blew it here. And it's only the Spirit who can then forgive that, right? Because I don't naturally forgive. So it's in those moments of confession and forgiveness, of lament 
and comfort, of confusion and wisdom, of loss and hope. It's in those moments that in community that we encounter the spirit of the crucified, resurrected, and reigning Christ. And we actually begin to grow. So brothers and sisters, Paul says, look, you've gotten the part. If you have bowed your knee to Jesus Christ, if you have surrendered your life to him, if you have received him as Lord, not only Lord over your own life, but recognizing that he is Lord over death, that he is Lord of all the dominions of this world, that he is Lord over all and nothing will ever change, that you've surrendered your life to him. You, listen, you're on the team. Relax. You've, you've, made the, you've gotten the part. You're part of the play now. You're part of the drama of redemption. Relax. You're married to Jesus Christ. You're united to him. And he says, now, walk in freedom. Don't worry about what people think. Don't worry about some, some, some evidence of your, your faithfulness, some experience of your maturity. Don't worry about that. Don't be ruled by those criteria. And not only walk in freedom, but walk in wisdom. Don't be fooled by these, all these elemental principles of this world, all the Dr. Phil's, all of the, the Oprah Winfrey's. Don't, 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 don't just ignore that stuff and focus instead on living in faithfulness in the family of God as a member of the body of Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, how beautiful it is to know that you have united us to your son Jesus that we can rest, we can know indeed that we, we are part of your family, that we have made the team, that we do have a part to play. And Father, that part, I pray that you would help each and every person here to feel welcome here at Good Shepherd Presbyterian. Oh, Father, forgive us when we take the things that we're passionate about, whether it's missions or, or scripture or prayer, or whatever it be, and we, we use those as, as criteria for judging our brothers and sisters. Lord, I pray that that we would truly welcome one another just as you have welcomed us. Father, I pray to you that with the, the counsel of this world all around us, Father, all we have to do is just look, go on the internet. All we have to do is watch TV. And there's constant, relentless counsel that seems so wise, that seems so plausible, that is, it seems so, uh, so powerful and yet truly is powerless. Father, I pray that you would unite us by the bond of your spirit. Father, I pray that we would grow, truly grow, in a, in, a, in a deep love for you and a love for one another. So, Father, we love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.